0: Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask now as we go to your word that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Give us ears to hear what your Spirit would say to us tonight. Lord, we long to walk in the center of your will, to be the men and women of God you've called us to be. Pray for those that are struggling. May you encourage them. Pray for those that are are hungry for you. May you continue to feed them. May they continue to grow in their walk with you. We continue to pray also for those that are watching on live stream, those that will watch later. So be glorified, we pray tonight. May you be the teacher. May man decrease, your spirit would increase, you would be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. we're coming close to the end of Kings. And Kings is pretty amazing because it, it's, it's got so many other books of the Bible that it really touches on. But so far what we've seen in Kings, as we know, sadly, after Solomon, who was the wisest man on earth, according to the word of God, even he was a flawed man. And because of some of the choices he made, if you'll remember, Israel was broken into two. Israel was the 10 tribes to the north, and Judah was the two tribes to the south. Well, as we've been going through kings, we've seen that every king in Israel was wicked, starting with Ahab, and they just all got more and more wicked. And as we come to tonight's text, it's already been almost 150 years Since Israel was taken captive by the Assyrians, Assyrians have now come into the land of Israel and the people of Israel have been taken off and are are bound in Assyria. So now as we come tonight to to looking at the end of what's going to happen with Judah, Judah has lasted longer because they've had godly kings. But as we saw with Manasseh, if you were here a few weeks ago, Manasseh was as evil as they get. We look at that man, and we look at his life, and it was also such a picture of God's grace because we talked for an hour about just, you know, he worshiped false gods. He was sacrificing his children on the hot arms of Molech, burning them to death. He had he had a perversion running rampant in the temple wor- worship. He was worshiping every false god you can think of. He was taking the things meant to be used for the Lord and using them in other ways. And we saw, though, at the end, just what a perverse man he was. And then I told you, when you get to Chronicles, you find out that he got, he got right with God. He repented. Now that's good news for all of us, because no matter how far away we walk from God, it truly is only one step back. Amen. And he desires to have that intimate fellowship with you. Then we got to Josiah the last couple of weeks. And Josiah, as we saw, something happened. What did Josiah rediscover? He didn't rediscover it. One of the others did, but what did they rediscover? What was it? The word of God. Can you imagine? They're God's people, and they have not read the word of God in hundreds of years. They've stopped all of the feasts and all of the things that they did in remembrance of the Lord, and the word of God was found, and Josiah read it, and after reading the word of God, he tore down all the false idols. After reading the word of God, he reestablished worship in the temple. After reading the word of God, he started having the Passover yet again to remember God delivering them out of bondage. And here's what I found to be true. I believe it's true not just in my life, but all of our lives. When we stay away from the word of God, we get too involved with the things of the world. And some of us need to rediscover our Bibles. Amen? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by. So we need to be in the word of God. You know, the Bible says we're to desire the word of God more than our necessary food. I saw you guys at the agape feast. I know that you're not shy about eating. We need to, if we opened our, the Bible as much as we open the fridge, imagine what kind of spiritual giants we'd be, amen? <laughs> now, last week, I tiled the message, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And we were looking at the end of the life of Josiah. And a faithful servant we know starts with the word of God. Now, one of the things that was so faithful about Josiah, he not only read it for himself, but as the king, once a year, he would bring all the people together all the people from Judah, and he would read the entire Bible to them. And again, if you're not reading through the Bible in a year, uh, that's what the king was doing, and we should be doing the same. We have the little slips in the back. You can catch up. If you read your Bible for about 20 minutes a day, that's less less than a, a sitcom, amen? You read for 20 minutes a day, you can read through the entire Bible in a year, and you don't have to stop at 20 minutes, You can read longer than that. But he found the word of God and then he went beyond just knowing what the word of God says and he started putting it into action. Guys, if Monday doesn't change, Sunday doesn't count. If we're opening the Bible and reading it, but we're not obeying it, then we're missing out on all that God has for us. Then last week we talked about how God has a plan for you. You know, God created each of you in his image. He has a plan for your life. He wants to use you. Uh, A faithful servant makes worship a priority. I know on Thursday nights it can be difficult a lot of times I'm running in here right before church because I too have a full-time job and I might have a sales call in South Bay or, you know, Lancaster or somewhere. So I'm driving home, changing and running down here. But I would encourage you when it's possible, we should be at church. Worship is not just warm up for the message. Amen. It's not, it's not the pregame show. Amen. It's what we do. When we get to heaven, the only thing we're going to do in heaven that we do on earth that we know for sure is worship. We're not gonna read our Bibles in heaven because the word of God's gonna be right there. We're not gonna evangelize. Everyone's already saved, amen? (laughs) But we will worship. And then we also saw that a faithful servant knows that judgment is coming. We're gonna look at more of that tonight. If you will remember that God had spoken through the prophet to uh, Josiah, that because of the wickedness of Manasseh and all the kings that went before him, that God was going to bring righteous judgment on Judah, just like he had with Israel. But I love Judah's response Because what Judah could have said is, well, because God told him through the prophet, but God's gonna wait until after you die and then he's gonna bring the judgment. And he could have just said, well, it's not gonna happen until after I die, I'm gonna go lay on the beach with a bag of chips and just wait. But he didn't do that. You know what he did? He was more uh, purposeful in making sure that everybody was honoring the Lord, that they got right with God and he wanted to finish strong, amen? He didn't want to, you know, heaven forbid, because someone said to me one time, well, if you were diagnosed with cancer, what would you do? I'd keep doing what I'm doing right now. Someone said, you got a month left to live. Okay, I got four more Sundays and four more Thursdays. Let's go. Amen. (laughs) Amen. I mean, what do we want to do? We want to finish strong for the Lord. We should live our life now the way we would live it if we only had a month left to live. We would share our faith with others. And then a faithful servant prays for the next generation. Now, Josiah, at the end of the last chapter, died. So Josiah is gone. And you will recall that now his sons are going to take over. And isn't it tragic? Don't you just wish? And I'm sure our parents felt the same way. Wouldn't it be great if our kids would just listen to everything we say and do it? It would be great if they listened to 10% of what we say and do it. But no, but the point is that Josiah was a godly man, Josiah was a man who was in the Word. Josiah was a man who stood for the truth. Josiah was a man who rid the nation of all the false idols. He tore everything down. He reestablished true worship. we're going to see tonight that two of his sons are going to be kings in tonight's chapter. Two of his sons. Actually, one's a grandson, I believe. But they're going to be going right back to the wickedness that their dad and her grandfather had ruled out of the nation. And it's so tragic, but it goes to show us that God has no grandchildren. So tonight's outline, if you have it, grab it. I tiled the message, just something every, every secret sensitive church has weekly. Judgment is coming. <laughs> judgment is coming. You know what, if you know the Lord, you don't need to fear judgment. Now we, we know that we will not be at the great white throne judgment because we've been forgiven. But we will be at the Bema seat judgment where we'll be judged by how faithful we are with the gifts God has given us. And so we'll talk about that a little bit, but judgment is coming. We're first going to see that God suffers long, but he won't suffer always. While God's judgment for unrepentant sin is not always immediate, it's unavoidable. See, sometimes we'll live a, a life outside of God's will. We'll be living, we'll almost be shaking our fists at God by living a lifestyle that we know is contrary to his word. And the fact that we keep getting away with it, we somehow think that God's okay with it. Well, just because God is showing us grace and just as he did with Josiah, he held off on bringing judgment to, to Judah. He gave them, you know, many more years because of Josiah's faithfulness, but he did not remove the fact that judgment was coming. I think every day we ought to wake up and be mindful of the fact that we're going to stand before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords one day. Amen? And we also need to be mindful of the fact that every single day, the way that we live has an impact, again, on on how, how our family functions, on how we're used for the Lord and for his kingdom. So God suffers long, but he won't suffer always. Number two, repent today. No one has the promise of tomorrow. You know, the enemy wants you to think you have all the time in the world. If the enemy can't get you to go to hell with him, he'll want you to sit on the sideline till you get to heaven. You know what? You know, he may say to you, well, there's no God. We won't buy that lie. He might say, well, there's no salvation. We know better than that. But he'll say, there's no hurry. And sometimes we will listen to that lie. Amen? And we want to make sure we're busy about it for his kingdom. Repent today. There's no promise of tomorrow. Number three, God may use the unrighteous to deliver his righteous judgment. We're going to see in tonight's text that God's going to use an ungodly king who most of you should know. His name is Nebuchadnezzar. And you didn't know he was in Kings, but here he is in Kings. Um, and he is going to be the, the person that God uses, this pagan man who's going to build an idol unto himself, the same Nebuchadnezzar that's going to sh- throw Shadrach, Meshach, into the and, and Abednego into the fiery furnace, the same one that drags Daniel and many others away captive, is going to be the one God uses to bring righteous judgment upon Judah. And sometimes in our case, we can be disobeying the Lord, we can be outside of God's will, and God may use a, a police officer, the government, he may Use you know our, our bo- whatever it might be our boss to bring about righteous judgment. So we're going to see that in tonight's text. Number four, Satan wants to desensitize you to sin. Here's the sad thing: we're all desensitized to some level to sin. Amen. All of Christians recommend a movie to me. I'll go look it up online. They take God's name in vain thirty-seven times, and they kind of know what I do. They know I'm a pastor. And and, and the point is, they'll talk to them. and they'll go, I don't remember there being really any language in that because you've become desensitized to it. Amen? We need to be resensitized to the fact that sin's not okay. Now, again, we're saved by grace, not of works as any man should boast, but we should love God and hate sin. Amen? And we want to recognize that sin's not okay. Just keep this in mind. You heard me say it a hundred times, one more won't hurt you. God doesn't give us the law to keep us from fun. It's not a a wall to keep us out of Disneyland. It truly is a guardrail to keep us from driving off a cliff. So he gives us the word so that we can live happy and healthy and fruitful lives. There may be suffering in there. That's part of the program. We may go, go through difficulty, but the Lord walks with us. And then finally, rebellion or fellowship, choose one. You can't have both. You cannot walk in open rebellion against the Lord and walk in fellowship with the Lord. So if you're in open rebellion, here's the good news. You can repent. You can turn around. You're walking in this direction. You recognize you're outside of God's will. You can turn back to the Lord and the Lord will minister to you. So let's begin. They're looking at judgment is coming. God suffers long, but he won't suffer always. Picking up there in verse one of second Kings chapter 24. It says, in his days, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up and Jehoiada, became his vassal for three years. Then he turned and rebelled against him. So Jehoiakim is a, one of the sons of Josiah. And he has sadly not followed in the footsteps of Josiah. He took his place and he was evil in the sight of the Lord, as we'll see in a few minutes. Now God brings Nebuchadnezzar. Now remember, there were three great kingdoms at that time. And it was Assyria, Egypt, and Babylon. It was the Assyrians that drug Israel off into captivity. It was the Egypt who uh, this same king, one of the previous kings, had sided with, and the king of Egypt appointed this man right here as the king over Judah. And so Assyria and Egypt are kinda on this side and Babylon's on this side. Now what we find out is Babylon now, we're gonna see it even in tonight's text, is is gonna wipe out their enemies. And Babylon is gonna become the rulers of the earth. And they're gonna be the most powerful nation on the planet. And now we see Nebuchadnezzar, and the reason that he's here, is he has gone down the peninsula to fight Egypt. And And he wiped them out in a sense. Destroyed their army. On his way back, he stops in Judah. Judah's between the two places. And he wants to make sure because already what has happened is he's already getting taxes paid to him. A vassal means like a servant. So the King Judah is a servant to King Nebuchadnezzar who is a pagan and godless man. And he's paying taxes to him. And so now Nebuchadnezzar comes through Judah on his way back to Babylon and he's going to go through the city and he's going to, we'll see the things that take place. So Jehoiakim became his vassal for three years. This means he was paying his taxes. He was honoring Nebuchadnezzar. He was being a, a good servant to this pagan king. But we know that he will rebel against him and that's coming. So Nebuchadnezzar came against Jerusalem because Pharaoh... Uh, of Egypt had invaded Babylon. In response, at this point, Nebuchadnezzar is still the prince. He's about to become the king because his dad's about to die. At this point, he's a prince. He's gone down and fought Egypt. He's got them to surrender all the way down to Mount Sinai uh, where the word of God was given out. And along the way or on the way back, again after he comes to subdue Jerusalem and put them under his reign. Now, for those of you who keep track of years, this is 605 BC. And this is the first time that Nebuchadnezzar comes into Judah to wreak havoc. He's going to go in and and take their, their gold. He's going to take their animals. And we're going to see that he's going to take the best of the people. He's going to invade Israel three times. Uh, 605 BC is this one is the first time he does it. In 597 BC and then 587 BC. So he keeps coming back from time to time. He's making sure there's still uh, servants of his. And this specific attack here is the very first time he has entered into uh, Judah. And we know that the victory he won from history was in May or June of 605 BC. By the way, if you don't know this, I wanna encourage you. I love biblical archeology span books. I don't know if any of you have ever read it through, any, through any of them. And you can open them up and every time they unshovel some dirt in the Middle East, the Bible's proven to be true yet again, amen? And they have, in a, not that long ago, found the ruins and they went through and you see some of the things from this very battle you see some of the things down in Egypt from this very battle. And it's amazing because the word of God is always true. The scientists change their mind. Trust the science. And I trust Jesus because scientists lie. Can I get an amen to that? The scientist who believes in evolution, not trust in that idiot. Can I get an amen? The reality is that the, let God be true and every man a liar. And you know, we're not anti-science. Science means knowledge. My God is omniscience, which means all knowledge, amen? And so praise God for the the word of God proves itself again and again and again. And so we know the date that this battle took place, some, you know, 2600 years ago, roughly, right? And we know where it took place and exactly what happened. So the campaign of Nebuchadnezzar was interrupted suddenly because his father was dying. So he runs back 500 miles, he gets there in two weeks, because he needs to be back there for the death of his father and to be crowned as the new king. So King Nebuchadnezzar is about to take place. So Briefly, in 605 BC, Nebuchadnezzar finally defeated the Egyptians in a battle. Later that year, he came through the land of Judah to make sure that his new conquest, all of Egypt's territories were in his control. And Nebuchadnezzar not only makes Jehoiakim his vassal, makes him pay taxes, but he's going to take some of the captives back with him. Now, as he is fleeing, because he's going in a hurry, he doesn't take as much of the wealth and he only takes a handful of people. Well, one of those people, before well, those people he took, were Daniel, Azariah, Hananiah, and Mishael, right? Now, each of those, they changed their names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they changed uh, Daniel's name to Belteshazzar. and he, he not no part of it. Kept calling himself Daniel, which means God is my judge. And so he takes them back and he's going to try to change their language. He's going to try to indoctrinate them and become like uh, the people in Babylon. And we're going to talk about that as we move forward. Verse two. And the Lord sent against him raiding bands of Chaldeans, bands of Syrians, bands of Moabites, bands of the people of Ammon. He sent them against Judah to destroy it according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken by his servants, the prophets. What's amazing about this is that God is using a bunch of pagan kingdoms to bring righteous judgment upon his own people. Now, why did he do this? He had warned them literally for about 300 years. He kept warning them and warning them. And because they continued to walk in rebellion, God finally allowed the righteous judgment to come. And again, too often we can fall into that trap. Well, I'm living this lifestyle and it's okay. Well, no, it's not. Just because God's shown you grace doesn't mean that God has forgiven that behavior if there is no repentance. Now, it's interesting too that, during this time, the contemporaries of this time are Daniel, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. What's amazing to me is that means Daniel was living as a young man when Josiah was the king, and then when his sons became king, and he was, you know, probably an, a teenager, so he hadn't been there that long. So he got to see a godly king, and then he got to see an ungodly king, and now he gets dragged off to Babylon and. When Gets there, The first thing they want him to do is he, he could have been fearful that he was going to die. We don't know if, if his parents were killed when he was taken captive or if he was just drug away. And Daniel is told to change his diet, change his language, and they want to make him one of the wise men because he's smart. So he takes away the best of, of Judah and he wants him to start serving again in this pagan. Uh, and what does Daniel do? They bring out the food and he says, I'm not eating it because... The law of Moses forbids it. He said, I'm not going to do that because God's word says no. How does he know? Because he knew what the word of God says. You got to keep in mind in those days, that wasn't easy because the king had one of the very few copies of the word. But Daniel went out of his way to know what the word said. Not only did he know what it said, he made a stand for the word of God. Daniel is going to be used mightily in this ungodly place. That's an encouragement for us that God can use us mightily even in ungodly places like California. Amen. When I talk to coworkers and stuff, especially other Christians, like you're in California, oh, bro, I'm sorry. And I said, well, guess what? This is where God wants us to be. There's people here that need Jesus, and the best place to take a light is the darkest place around. Amen. And we want to we want to minister to people in that are here because they need the Lord, and the Lord loves them. It's interesting that Prophet Jeremiah began his ministry during the days of Josiah, and even from the beginning, things were really tough for him. You know, Josiah has a nickname. He's called the what prophet? Who knows? The weeping prophet. He's the weeping prophet. Why? Because he was ministering in in a place where nobody would heed the word. He was ministering in Judah and nobody responded to the word. We don't see one single convert in 40 years of ministry for Jeremiah. But one of the things that we learn is as he was going through difficult times, God was preparing him for greater things. And so he got to be with Josiah for a time, but then he saw the wicked kings come. And now we're going to see that he gets left behind when others are taken captive and God is going to use him where he is. Guys, we cannot endure in our faith if we don't endure through the tough times. We have to learn that in the midst of difficulty, it's an opportunity for us to grow spiritually, that no suffering is wasted and everything that God allows can be used for his kingdom and for his glory. Verse three and four, surely at the commandment of the Lord, this came upon Judah to remove them from his sight because of the sins of Manasseh, according to all that he had done. And also because of the innocent blood that he had for he had filled Jerusalem with innocent blood, which the Lord would not pardon. Here's what happens. It's been some time because after Manasseh was king, Josiah was king. Then after Josiah, there was another king last week. And now this is three kings away. Even though we saw what Manasseh did and God said, judgment is coming. God did not bring the judgment immediately. But again, God suffers long, but he won't suffer always. Righteous judgment cannot be avoided. Whether it comes today or tomorrow or 10 years from now, righteous judgment is coming. So he's taken all these pagan lands, all these enemies that they should have wiped out, by the way, every, every one of those armies that we just quoted that came against them, they were all supposed to be wiped out when they went into the land of promise. And because they didn't do what they were supposed to do, the enemy came back and is now going to defeat them. The Bible tells us the same thing. If we don't put our flesh to death, the flesh will destroy us. Amen? If we don't, you know, we we need to make a stand for the things that are right, the things that are holy. And sadly, because they didn't obey God, it came back to harm them later. It's like, you know, you're dating somebody they're not saved, but well, but he's handsome and he's got a nice car. Or maybe, you know, she's really pretty, whatever. And we make excuses and then we disobey the Lord all the way through the courting process. And then we marry somebody who's not saved. And then we're really bummed out when the person who's not saved acts like they're not saved. I can't get my husband to come to church with me. Well, did he ever go to church? Well, he went with me a few times. Well, of course, he'll do anything you ask him to do when you're dating. And then you get married and that real guy shows up, amen? And the reality is that we can't disobey God and expect God to bless us. And so here, Judah had been so far away from the Lord, and God finally brings the righteous judgment. And when the judgment came, we're going to see that they're carried off. So judgment is coming. Peter said this, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with great noise, and the elements melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and conduct and godliness? In light of the fact that righteous judgment is coming, how should we be living? In light of the fact that we will stand before the Creator of the universe. The only thing here's my retirement plan, you ready? Here's my 401k. Well done thou good and faithful servant. That's my that's my heart. I don't I don't care about my, I don't care about that. I want to just Can you imagine standing before the King of Kings and having Jesus look you in the eye and say, well done, thou good and faithful servant? Is there anything greater in the world than that? And yet we need to live every day in light of the fact that we will stand before him soon and very soon. This is a difficult time. God allowed it because of their disobedience. God is a God of judgment. He will one day make all things right. God had warned his people, if they ever started disobe- disobeying him, that he would gradually, increasingly set of judgments would be coming after them, and why, why does God judge disobedience? Well, first of all, because he's holy and he has to, but second of all, because he wants to restore us back to right fellowship, amen? When you don't discipline your kids, you know what you have? A brat. That shows my age, Amen. But you don't discipline a kid, they're gonna gonna be wild. They're gonna be out of control. Whatever you allow them to do, they'll do it. So as parents, we need to love our kids enough to say, no, you can't play on the freeway. No, you're not allowed. I don't care how many times you cry, no, you're not. Why, because we love them, we want to protect them. You know what, God brings righteous judgment against us because he knows the direction we're headed is harming us and he loves us enough to, to swat us if necessary to bring us back where we need to be, amen? And praise God for his discipline. Praise God that he loves us enough. Again, many in in the days of Josiah, now in Jehoiakim, thought that God would let him slide. Well, God's let us slide for 300 years. We've been worshiping false gods all this time. You know, he's not really gonna judge us. Here's the other thing you get to hear a lot if you've been a Christian for a while. You guys have been talking about Jesus coming back for decades. That just means it's closer. Amen? And reality is that people are gonna mock The fact that Jesus is coming back, but guys, he's coming back, amen? Soon and very soon, we're going to see the king. The commandment of the Lord came upon Judah to remove them from his sight because of the sins of Manasseh. How tragic is that? Because of the sins of Manasseh, even though Manasseh again repented later, And he found forgiveness. His sins were so grievous and so many that they had a huge effect on the nation, sending them into a downward downward spiral from uh, something that they never really recovered from. Be careful to think, oh, I can just do this, God will forgive me. Oh, I can just do this, God will forgive me. Well, if you're truly repentant, God will forgive you, but the consequences may still remain. Amen? And here's Judah They had moments where they repented during the time of King Josiah, but because of their their actions, righteous judgment is coming. We may find forgiveness, but there's still consequences for our actions. So Jehoiakim and Jehoahaz, which was the first king after Josiah, their names are omitted. When um, Brett talked to some Monday night, if you go through the genealogy in Matthew chapter one, by the way, this is how hardcore I am to teaching verse by verse. The first Bible study we had when we planted this church was Matthew chapter one. It was a genealogy because that's where the book starts. Can I get an amen to that? Usually you're going to do something else. But when you go through there, these last two kings, Jehoahaz and Jehoiakim, they're not listed. Y'all are these kings and all of a sudden it just skips over these two guys. Manasseh is listed and he was as evil as they get. What's the difference between Manasseh and these two guys? Who knows? What is it? Repentance. See, because Manasseh repented, God sees him who he was in the end, not when he was, when he was uh, failing miserably. And isn't it good to know that God sees us through the shed blood of his son? He doesn't see us at our worst moment. He sees us redeemed and forgiven and praise God for that. It's a God that we serve. Verse four. And also because of the innocence of blood, which he had shed, for he had fulfilled Jerusalem with innocent blood. What were they doing? They were making sacrifices to these false gods. And again, they were, Molech has these brass arms and they would heat it up and then they would take a baby and put it on its brass arms and it would scream and they would play drums to drown out the screaming as a sacrifice to their false god. By the way, any god that wants you to kill your kids is not a good god. And by the way, there are no other gods. There's only one true and living God, amen? But it's so tragic that people would go to that distance Again, for something that is clearly a lie. Verse 5. what well, it says there, which the Lord would not pardon. So God saw that sin, and God would not pardon that sin. And again, we don't see any crying out for forgiveness. We don't see any repentance. So God will not forgive it. Now, the rest of the acts of Jericho, Jeruchim, Jehoiakim, excuse me, and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? So Jehoiakim rested with his fathers, then Jehoiachin, his his son reigned in his place. So now this is going to be the grandson of King Josiah. And the king of Egypt did not come out of his land anymore for the king of Babylon had taken all that belonged to the king of Egypt from the brook of Egypt to the river Euphrates. So Babylon went down and they just wiped out Egypt. They just took everything of value that they had. The king in Egypt just camped down in Egypt, wanted to be left alone. He was no longer trying to conquer the earth because he'd been defeated so, so greatly. And now the king of Babylon, as we're saying, is ruling and reigning. He's got the most powerful of all the kingdoms. It says in 2 Chronicles that King Nebuchadnezzar intended to take Jehoiakim to Babylon uh, bound in fetters. So Jehoiakim, we'll see it in 2 Chronicles, fetters is literally like chains or manacles that go around your feet. And often on your wrist, you're walking like this. And they had put the king, because the king is going to rebel against, uh, against Nebuchadnezzar, and he's planning on taking him away in these fetters. But here's what happens. He finds out that his dad is dying. We don't know why he leaves the king behind, but he does. He hurries back to Babylon, and some of the people that were in Judah, took the king, and it says they threw him outside of the city gates, they set him on fire and buried him with the same burial of a donkey. So how'd that work out disobeying God? How'd that work out living a life that was so contrary to what the word of God had commanded? And again, judgment came. Jeremiah 22 tells us that he was disgracefully buried outside the city, there was no mourning, and no, and he had the burial of a donkey. There in verse seven, again, the king of Egypt would not come anymore. Again, even though Josiah had fought against Egypt, his son was friends with Egypt. He was, well, it was an Egyptian that had made him king. And here's the reality. He is going to, we're gonna see this again in just a moment with his son. He's gonna follow his dad's footsteps. Don't run to the world for help. Run to the Lord. And what does he do? He runs to Egypt for help. And we're going to see the same thing happen with his son. And they're going to think that the world's going to come alongside them and help them when they're facing the great enemy of Babylon. And guess what happens? The world can't help you, but God can. Amen? And so let's run to the Lord instead of running to the world when we're in a difficult situation. Friends can't always bail you out. The kings of Judah too often were counting on others to bail them out. And what they needed to do was repent and get right with God. Solomon said this in Proverbs 18. There are friends who destroy each other, but a real friend sticks closer then a brother. David said this, I sought the Lord, and he heard me, and he delivered me from all my fears. Why would we run to the world when we can turn to the King of kings, the Lord of lords, almighty God, who loves you so much? He'd rather die than live without you. So point number one on judgment is coming. God suffers long, but suffer always. So he, he postponed his righteous judgment, but now it's come. And now Judah is enslaved to Babylon, He's taken away some of their riches. He's going to come back for the rest of them. He's taking away some of their best people and indoctrinating them in Babylon. Point number two, repent today. No one has the promise of tomorrow. Watch this. So Jehoiachin was 18 years old when he became king. Can you imagine? Might be an improvement some places. But he was 18 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem. How long? Three Three months. So you become king probably takes a month just to celebrate, having parades. Everybody's excited. I'm the new king. I've been appointed the new king. And two months later, he's done. And for each of us, we need to know that none of us have the promise of tomorrow. We don't have a, we don't know that if we'll be here next Sunday. We don't know what God has in store for us. We don't know if he might rapture the church. Come quickly. I'm in for that. But he makes him, he's king. And even though Babylon's ruling over them, it's still a position of authority. No doubt he, he feels you know, great about the position he's been given. And then it's taken away really quickly. We'll see one of the reasons that it was. Look at what it says in verse 8. So as he was king three months, his mother's name was Nahusa, the daughter of el Elnathan. Of Jerusalem, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father had done. Isn't it amazing how the ungodly guys always follow? If you have an ungodly dad, they follow the ungodly dad, but when they have a godly dad, they rarely follow him. They got an ungodly dad that's partying, he's out of control, he's worshiping false gods. By the way, that's a word for every father in this room, every grandfather in this room, everybody watching on live stream, everybody will hear this on the radio. The first thing we're gonna be accountable for is our family. And what kind of example are we leading for our kids? What kind of, are we showing our kids what it means to love their mom? Are we Are showing our kids what it means to work hard? We're showing our kids what it means to be a godly dad? I read this stat recently. I don't know how accurate it is, I just read it. It said 93% of families where the dad goes to church, the whole family goes to church. So guys, dads, let's lead by example, amen? And sadly, we see that he followed his dad's example, but it was an ungodly one. It says in Jeremiah, As I, as I live, says the Lord, though uh, is this king here, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, he wore the signet, my signet, on his right hand. Yet I would pluck you off. I will give you into the hand of those who seek your life and into the hands of those who you face with fear the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, the hand of the Chaldeans, so I will cast you out and your mother that bore you into another country while you will, uh, were not born, and there you shall die. So he was actually taken captive. He was drug away into a foreign land, into Babylon, and he would no longer be king after just three months. So repent today, no one has the promise of tomorrow. Don't, don't put your faith. It's easy. You know, where we live, I don't know, we have like the fifth largest economy in the world. And most of us in California, it's so ridiculously expensive to live here. But God, you know, we, we have a, a lot of resources for the most part. And it's so easy for us to just rest in our bank account or rest in our job or rest in our abilities. And it's so easy to be so caught up in that, that we cease to be desperate for God. And Lord, our prayer should be, Lord, keep me humble, broken, and desperate. Do what's necessary, Lord, to keep me in a place where I recognize my desperate need for you. Point number three, God may use the unrighteous to deliver his righteous judgment. Watch what happens in verse 10. At that time, the servants of Nebuchadnezzar, now he's the king of Babylon. So when he came the first time, he was the prince. Now some years have gone by and now he's coming back, sending, sending people out. Here's what it says. King of Babylon came up against Jerusalem and the city was besieged. Now, when you besiege a city, if you guys have been coming to the Old Testament, what they would do is they would surround a city and they wouldn't let anybody in or anybody out. So there was no way to bring food in, no way to transport water in. And what they would do is they would just sit there until the people inside surrendered. It would just wear them out and they would finally give up because they knew there was nothing they could do. So they besieged the city Then it says in verse twelve, verse eleven, and Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came against the city as his servants were besieging it. Then Jehoiachin, king of Judah, his mother, his servants, his princes, and his officers went out to the king of Babylon, and the king of Babylon, in the eighth year of his reign, took him prisoner. Boy, being king of Judah, right about not so fun. Got one guy dying, and the next guy taken and thrown out and buried like a donkey. But he did evil in the sight of the Lord. And then we have his son doing the same thing. Now he's being taken away captive too. And this is what happens. Guys, when we're, when we're obedient, God is glorified and we get blessed. And if God is for us, who can be against us? And you plus God is a majority. Now we may serve God and we may still not win the battle that we're facing. But I, w- I would rather lose a battle knowing it's God's will than win a battle outside of God's will. Amen. Amen? Who would you rather be, Darius up in the palace, uh, stirred up all night and tormented, or Daniel sleeping in the lion's den? See, it's better to be in the lion's den with the Lord than in the palace without him, amen? See, it's better to be on the side of the Lord, which doesn't mean your life will be perfect. It doesn't mean your life's gonna be free of trials. I try not to mention him every service, but it just happens. Uh, It's been almost five months since Mark went to heaven. If I could, if I could change it, I would give everything I have to change it. I would rather have my son back. That being said, I know God has and will continue to use this for His glory, and I know that God is already doing a work in my family because we recognize that we can't get through this without the Lord. Amen. And we want to hold on to the. When you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you hang on to the Lord with both hands. And so in the difficult times of life, we don't want to run from God. We want to run to him. We want to hold tightly to the Lord. And because they continued to do evil on the side of the Lord, they didn't have the Lord to run to. And the enemy in- took them. And some of us have been, you know, in a place where the enemy owns us. Where the enemy's got us addicted, where the enemy's got us living a life outside of God's will, where we're continuing to live a life contrary to what we know the Lord wants us to do. We're not responding to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Can I encourage you, if you're, again, if you're five steps away from the Lord, turn around. If you're a hundred steps away from the Lord, turn around. If you're a thousand steps away from the Lord, turn around. He's right there. The only time we see a picture of God the Father running in the Bible is the prodigal son. God, the, the father is a representation of God, the father. And when he sees the prodigal son, it says he literally ran and, you know, Jewish older men didn't run. And then he had to take, you know, his robe and tuck it in his shirt and he ran to his son. And I believe the same thing is true. If you walked away from the Lord, the Lord wants to run to you and embrace you in his arms again and say, welcome home. Amen. And sadly, we see these kings continue to disobey God, continue to do evil in the sight of the Lord. And they continue to be taken captive by the enemy. Again, we're going to deal with the enemy, but we don't need to be captive to him. Uh, We have victory in Jesus. So he, he surrenders to Nebuchadnezzar. Again, this happened on March 16th, 597 BC. You gotta love the Bible at rocks because it's, we go through history and we see exactly when it happened. Jeremiah had prophesied about Jehoiachin. and said, so I cast you out, you and the mother who bore you into another country where you were not born and there you shall die. And that's exactly what's taking place many years later. So in the eighth year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, this means that Daniel's been in Babylon for eight years and all this stuff is happening. When we get to Daniel, we're going to see that Daniel took, where all these kings were acting contrary to the word of God and doing evil, they're a mess. Daniel kept standing. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego kept standing up for the truth. They would not compromise. And God shows up in a mighty and a powerful way. And before you know it, Daniel is all but running the country. When they, when they need some later on, when they need someone to prophesy, they say, who, who can we go get Daniel? When the other wise men are trying to get rid of Daniel, they outlaw prayer because they know there's nothing else they can find against him, but they know that he prays. And I pray that we would we would be those kind of people. Look, we're, we're never gonna be perfect, but, and, we, and again, we know we're never gonna be perfect, but we should desire to walk in obedience to the Lord and be somebody that God will use for his glory, just as Daniel is eight years now in Babylon, and he's doing better than the king in Judah. Why is that? Because the king of Judah is not walking with the Lord and Daniel is. Daniel, who's in tougher circumstances? Daniel, but he still walks with God. Guys, our circumstances should not be a reason for us not to walk with the Lord. Point number four, Satan wants to desensitize you to sin. Now watch what happens. And he carried out from there, this is, this is uh, Nebuchadnezzar has come back for his second raid, if you will, on Judah. And he carried out from there all the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house. And he cut in pieces all the articles of gold which Solomon, king of Israel, made in the temple of the Lord, as the Lord had said. So, what does he do? He comes in and he raids the temple. Now, this shows you no fear of God whatsoever. And he raids the temple. So, what's he taking out? The golden lampstand, table of showbread, the altar of incense. There's some debate as to whether or not he got the Ark of the Covenant. Some believe that Jeremiah hid the Ark of the Covenant. We don't know that for sure. But we know he got the bronze laver. He got the, you know, all the, 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 the bronze altar where they made the sacrifices. And what did he do? He took all these implements that were used for the worship of the true and living God and he cut them into pieces. Most believe he took them back and he melted them down and he was using them in the worship of their false gods. Look how far Judah and Israel have gotten away from the Lord, that the house where God is supposed to be worshiped, because of their faithlessness, now it's all been dragged away. So tragic. Carried away to Babylon, cut into pieces. Guess what? That means you can't sacrifice anymore. And in those days, that was a picture of the cross. Notice it says there in verse 14, also he carried into captivity all Jerusalem, all the captains, all the mighty men of valor, 10,000 captives, all the craftsmen and smiths. None remained except the poorest people of the land. None remained. Nebuchadnezzar not only took material treasures, but also human treasures. Anybody who had skill or ability was taken captive in Babylon, and they would remove, because here's what he thought. If I take away their best soldiers, I take away their smartest people, I take away you know, uh, everybody that serves in a position of authority, I drag them off and I just leave behind the people that are barely making it. It removes any threat that they'll ever attack me again. So what is he doing? He's taken, you know, what belongs to God and he's subduing it and using it for the glory of his pagan gods. This is so tragic. And sadly, it's what we see in the world. Look at verse 15. And he carried jehuchin of Babylon, the king's mother and the king's wives, his officers, the mighty land of the Lord he carried into captivity from Jerusalem to Babylon. All the valiant men, 7,000, and the craftsmen, the smiths, 1,000, all who were strong and fit for war, these the king of Babylon brought captive to Babylon. If Satan can't get you to reject the gospel, He will do everything he can to render you ineffective for the gospel. See, these men were trained to be mighty warriors for the Lord. And because of the disobedience in the land, they've now been drug off and are being trained, not all of them followed through, are being trained to be mighty warriors for the enemy, for Satan. Here's the application for all of us. God created you to have a relationship with him. God has given you gifts that you can use for his kingdom and for his glory. God's adopted you and to his family. You're his child. He loves you. And what the enemy wants you to do is be so distracted that you take all the gifts God's given you and use them for the things of this world. Invest in things that are perishing instead of investing in that which is eternal. And the enemy, if he can't get you to go to hell with him, he wants to render you ineffective for the kingdom of God. He wants you to sit back and let somebody else do it. You know, the reason that just sitting at home and watching church on TV doesn't work, and look, if you're sick and that's an option, or if you live far away from here, God bless you. We're glad you're doing that. But you know what? This, Christianity is not a spectator sport. Amen? You know, it's sad. Some churches are like football games. You've got 80,000 people watching and 22 people beating each other to death out there, you know, uh, to entertain everyone else. Guys, we're all called, we're all gifted, and we should be using our gifts for His glory. And we're not encouraging to use gifts so the church will be blessed, but so you will be blessed. Because you know who grows the most? The people that serve the most. Can I get an amen to that? It's amazing how everything changes when you go from being a ministry to a minister. Look, we're here to minister to you. We want to minister to you any way that we can. If you need our help, we want to do that. But I want to encourage you to go beyond being a spectator and to get involved. All these guys were taken captive who'd been gifted to be used by the Lord and now they're being drugged away. Nebuchadnezzar wanted to take the best, the brightest, the most gifted to serve him. He indoctrinated them in pagan beliefs and Satan is still doing the same thing today. We need to be careful. And look, I'm not gonna, I don't wanna get into this debate, but here's the thing. The enemy wants your kids. Amen? The enemy wants to destroy your marriage. The enemy wants your time and your resources. The enemy wants to be the priority in your life. And how does he go about that today? Well, he starts by indoctrinating, just like when they would come into Babylon, they'd stick them in the school for pagan idolatry and they would you know, indoctrinate them in pagan idolatry. Well, guess what? Satan's still doing it today. Remove all the Bibles from the schools. How's that working out? We remove the Bibles from school. We teach lies that contradict his word. Evolution you might go, oh, I believe in evolution. Uh, I'll, uh, let's sit down and talk because it did not go from the goo to the zoo to you. Amen. We're created in the image of God and God is not an amoeba and he's not a monkey. Can I get an amen to that? And so evolution, here's what it's all about. It's about having, not having to be accountable to a creator. And we teach it like it's fact. All the people look at me and I go, well, it's a proven fact. No, it's not. It's not observable. It's not repeatable. And, and you know what? The second law of thermodynamics and the law of biogenesis wipe it out because you can't have anything go from non-living matter. You can't turn that into life. And nothing goes from, from disorder to order. It's the other way around. Amen? Things don't explode and, and, and you know, Chevy Tahoe's fall out. That <laughs> doesn't happen. Amen? When something explodes. It scatters, but there was nothing. And then that nothing exploded. How does nothing explode? I have no idea. And then it explodes and then it became something. And you know, the sad part is they're teaching our kids that every single day. They're indoctrinating them into that lie. And you know what? If they are, it might be time to get your kids out of that school if there's any way you can. They reject biblical marriage. Marriage is mocked. Do they have marriage pride month at the public schools? But do they have gay pride month at schools? They do. Amen? We love homosexuals. We love all sinners. We're sinners saved by grace. We're just one beggar leading another beggar to the bread. But God created marriage between one man with one woman for a lifetime. Amen? And it's under attack. You'll notice that all the attacks are in Genesis. They're attacking the foundation. The other thing they're teaching is, again, there's no God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And, and what's, a, what's, maybe in transparency, this is a night group, we're family. I am blown away by the arrogance of atheists or, or it's even better when they call themselves, uh, agnostic. I'm an agnostic. Like it's smart. You know what agnostic means? Ignoramus. It's what it means. Ag means without. Gnostic means knowledge. It means I don't know. You know, where, where do you stand? I don't know. Aren't I intelligent? No, you're not. If you don't know, you need to get to know. Amen. But we're living in a time where we're being indoctrinated with the lie. There's only two genders. Amen? Can you believe the lunacy of what we're seeing in the world today? But guys, this all happens when we started, we took Bibles out of school in the 60s. And the further and further away we get and the more indoctrination that we get, people will buy anything. The people that actually believe that I'm fluid I'm non-binary. The fact that you're non-binary bindings, there's only two. You're admitting there's only two. Amen? But this is being indoctrinated. The same thing happened in Babylon. They were being indoctrinated. Now, praise God for guys like Daniel saying, no, the law of Moses forbids, I'm not doing it. And we need to do the same. Amen? We're not going to do that. We're going to honor the Lord. By the way, if I hear this one more time, I'm going to be sick. My truth. Well, my truth. Well, here's my truth. No, there's not my truth and your truth. There's the truth amen? Well, live your truth. What truth? It's not the truth. It's not the truth. The other thing that the world's doing is telling us to focus more on ourselves. Oh, he needs more self-esteem. No, he doesn't. We all esteem ourselves way too much. Amen? The Bible says, if anyone desires to come after me, let him what? deny himself, take up the cross and follow me. We don't need to esteem self. We esteem ourselves too much. We need to deny self and follow Jesus, amen? Amen. But we're being indoctrinated by the world and being told that we need more self-esteem. The other one is do whatever feels good. If it feels good, do it because your feelings would never lie to you and that would never lead you into a disaster, (laughs) amen? But we live in a world today that is moved on feelings. I posted something on on, uh, Facebook this morning and it was... uh, uh, the, the, you know, what's most important in my life and it shows Jesus hugging somebody saying well done thou good and faithful servant and the guy that I went to high school with wrote me and said well I believe in the Lord but he would never call me a servant we're more like equals I said no you're not well he, he's my friend well yeah he's your friend but you're not his equal and he would never call me servant. Uh, Actually, he said, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Amen. I am so glad that God is so much greater than me. How about you? Because if he was about like me, this place would have been destroyed a long time ago. Our God is great. But here's what happens. But he kept saying to me, but I just feel it. That's what the Mormons say. How do you know the Book of Mormon's true? Well, you had a b- burning in your bosom. I got a burning in my bosom when I eat a chili dog. It doesn't mean that <laughs> Joseph Smith is right. But this is the indoctrination that keeps happening, and this is why we need to teach the whole counsel of God, amen? Because the reason Daniel could say, I'm not gonna eat that, the law of Moses forbids that, because he knew what the Word of God said. And if we send our kids off and they don't know what the Word of God says, it's like throwing sheep to lions you know what? I'm really thankful for the youth group in this church. Can I get an amen to that? They are taught the word. They know the word. They study the word. They love the word and God is using them. I'm thankful for the children's ministry. I'm thankful for the fact that we're, we want to teach children the truth because guys, this is the, they should be getting it at home first and it should be reinforced here. Amen. So, the same way that indoctrination, they drug all the, the ch- people of Judah into Babylon and they're indoctrinating them in the lie. When we get to Daniel, he's going to build a, a, an idol of himself, 90 foot tall idol of himself, and say, when the music plays, everybody bow. And guess what? Thousands upon thousands upon thousands. We just saw Israeli ten thousand, seven thousand, thousands 10,000, of people have been brought from Judah, and when the music played, all but three of them hit the ground. This is what happens when. You have a relationship with the Lord, you stop seeking after the Lord, you get caught up in the world, and before you know it, you're just like the world. Amen? Amen. We're called to be different. Don't be self-righteous, don't be a jerk. We're seeking popularity with men over right standing with God. Why won't we make a stand for God sometimes? Because we're afraid what men might say. If I make a stand for God, they're gonna gonna think I'm a Jesus freak. I hope they know I'm a Jesus freak. (laughs) Who better to be a freak for, as my mom used to say? Amen? We're fanatics, right? That fan is short for fanatic. We should be way more excited about Jesus than we are any football, baseball, or basketball team or NASCAR race or anything else. Amen? We'll get up and jump. We'll drive three hours. We'll get there early. We'll get a good seat. We'll pay, you know, $27 for a hot dog, and we'll and we'll sit amongst a bunch of people and we'll scream at the top of our lungs. And then we can't get to church. It's a mile away on time. you know I love you. (laughs) Much of people today are more concerned about gaining followers than following Jesus. Amen? How many followers do you have on your TikTok? How many followers do you have? How many followers do you have? How many likes did you get in your last selfie? (laughs) No, we're not into self. Selfie. The word of 2017. Focus more on me instead of pointing people to him. Among those taken to Babylon in the second group, guess who was in this group? Ezekiel. You know, Ezekiel was one of the priests, he wrote the book of Ezekiel while in captivity in Babylon. So we cannot make the excuse that I'm in a bad situation so God can't use me. He's been taken away captive and he's writing prophetic books while in captivity. Apostle Paul wrote most of the New Testament while in jail. So guys, we can't make excuses that, well, when things get better, then I'll serve God. Well, when when I have this problem taken care of, then I can serve God. Let's start serving God right where we are. Amen? Amen. Jeremiah was in Jerusalem. They left him behind. He was ministering to the people in, in Judah. Daniel was in the government in Babylon and he kept rising to greater power. And Ezekiel again was in Babylon speaking to the Jews who were in captivity. And the time of Babylon captivity was one of the most important in the history of the nation of Israel because they finally realized they can't worship false gods anymore. You know what finally got them to stop worshiping false gods? Getting taken to a landfill with false gods. They had to be ripped away to recognize we're in, we're, we have these pagan idolaters and they're ruling and reigning over us. How's that working out, serving the false gods of this world? It says this, talking about purity coming through trial. See, in the midst of this trial, Ezekiel is thriving, Daniel is thriving, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are thriving, Jeremiah is being used mightily by God. Then we have a bunch of other unnamed people that bowed when they shouldn't have been bowing. And it says this in Hebrews. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, after it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. These people from Judah and Israel, they're being spanked, if you will. They were learning righteousness from it. They learned to get rid of their idolatry. Guys, if you're in a fire right now, what kind of lessons are you learning? If you're in the fire, remember that the Lord's in the fire with you. I talk about it all the time, right? When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, Jesus stayed in the fire. And when we're in the fire, when we're in the trials of life, it's better to be in the fire with Jesus than out of the fire without him, and he'll never leave you nor forsake you. And I'll tell you what, I've been holding closer to the Lord in the last four and a half months than I have any time in my life. Why? Because in the time of grief, in the time when you can't fix it yourself, when you're so heartbroken, you need to hang on to the one, the Prince of Peace, who can bring you peace in the midst of it. Amen? Let's finish up. Finally, rebellion or fellowship, choose one. By the way, we just keep going through kings like this, right? Look what it says. Then the king of Babylon made Madaniah, Jehoiachin's uncle, king of his place, and changed his name to Zedekiah. Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hathamotel, the daughter of Jeremiah of Libna. He was also did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that Jehoiakim had done. For because of the anger of the Lord, this happened in Jerusalem and Judah, that he finally cast them out of his presence. Then Zedekiah rebelled against the king of Babylon. We'll see this in next week's chapter. So the king in Babylon picks who he wants to have king over Judah, who he's now taken captive, and no doubt he looked for the most evil one he could find. Let's put him in charge, because he'll make sure that they don't turn back to their God. He'll make sure that he does whatever I want him to do for us to continue the indoctrination, and a lot of times that's what happens in the world we live in today, People are put into positions of authority by godless people and want to continue us down that godless path. And we are to submit to the uh, authorities that God has placed over us until they tell us to disobey God, then we choose to obey God rather than man. Amen? Rebellion or fellowship. Zedekiah could have chosen to serve God or he could have just gone the way of the world. And he can't have both. You cannot follow after the world and have intimate fellowship with God. You cannot walk in open rebellion against the word of God, live contrary to what it commands, and think you can walk in intimate fellowship with the Lord. When we get to Chronicles, it's going to explain all the things Zedekiah did. We'll close with this. He was not willing to listen to God's word. Jeremiah came to him and he's not going to say, I don't want to hear it. You bring God's word to the king. Here you go. This is, by the way, you're the king of the nation that God created You're God's chosen people. Here's what his word says. He says, I don't want to hear it. We're going to see that in Chronicles. Zedekiah, he broke an oath he made in Yahweh's name uh, as a vassal of Babylon. He was unrepentant and failed to restrain leaders and priests from defiling the temple with the reintroduction of idolatrous practices. So the temple has been cleared out of all the godly furniture. So he brings back idolatry. He brings back false worship. He brings back uh, all the perversion that was taking place in the temple. Here's a man who chose to follow the world instead of following the Lord. We also know in Chronicles, it says that he took one of the scrolls of God's word and he set it on fire. We think we have it bad. Look at these kings. Look at these kings, evil, And more evil and more evil. And it all gets back to one thing the Word of God had disappeared for hundreds of years. When it was found, Josiah repented. They drew back to the Lord and started worshiping as a true and living God. And then another king came along that wanted nothing to do with God's Word. You know what's going to bring revival in this country? When the Word of God is given the priority that it deserves. Amen. When, when we have people who are unashamed to speak the word of God, we're willing to follow what the word of God says. Choose today whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We'll see that Zedekiah, again, is the one, many reasons for their exile. And we'll see that the, the, the tragedy is going to continue. As we get into Chronicles, we're going to get all of this in more detail. So in closing, judgment is coming. God suffers long, he won't suffer always repent today. No one has the promise of tomorrow. Guys, if you're just here tonight and you, man, you've been really struggling with something, get on your knees before you leave here and give your, and just say, Lord, forgive me. Amen. He's faithful and just to forgive us. The enemy wants to tell you you've done too much. God can't forgive you. He wants to forgive you. God may use uh, the unrighteous to deliver righteous judgment. Satan wants to desensitize you to sin. One of the things I pray often is, Lord, be there any wicked way in me, show me. I, I don't, how many of you know when you're sinning? I do, I would say 99% of the time I know. You know when you're heading to sin before you did it. Amen. Is that not true? Yeah. You're getting ready to say it. I shouldn't say this. It's funny though, what I shouldn't say this. It's not, it's not become, I don't, say it. I, sh- I really shouldn't say it. Don't say it. I don't, I shouldn't. Then you say it. Then you get the Holy Spirit head slap. Amen. <laughs> shouldn't have said it. And you know what the Lord does when we're about to sin? He puts up stop signs. Isn't that true? And you just push that one out of the way and keep going, and then you sin. When we recognize sin for what it is and we're not desensitized to it, we're quick to repent, amen? Sign of spiritual maturity is the amount of time between when you sin and when you repent should be getting shorter and shorter and shorter, amen? And then finally, rebellion or fellowship, choose one. Lord, help us to desire to walk in fellowship with God more than to have anything this world has to offer. Amen? Amen? Lord, we thank you, we praise you, we love you. You are indeed a great and awesome God. I know this was not a secret, sensitive message tonight. But Lord, I know for all of us, I know in studying it all week, it's been convicting. Lord, we wanna be the men and women of God you called us to be. Without you, we can do nothing, but we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Lord, strengthen us. Fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. If we've come here tonight and we're struggling, We've got an area of our life where we just are continuing down that road in a sinful behavior. I pray that tonight would be a night where we repent before you. And Lord, I pray for those who are struggling. You would comfort them. You would strengthen them. You would give them the power of the Holy Spirit to walk away. We thank you, Lord, when we're tempted, you make a way of escape. Lord, help us that when we are tempted to recognize it's not just an opportunity to sin, it's an opportunity to grow. If we will walk away, we will draw closer to you. And Lord, we know it's not works that save us, but works are just fruit of salvation. May we live out loud for you. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said.